<laughs> uh, Jeremiah just uh, uh, was disappointed with me that I wasn't wearing my phylactery. Uh, my name is Matt Wilson, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is, it is good to be with you this morning. Um, for those who don't know, my son Luke has uh, some special needs. He's, vi- he's visually impaired, and so when he is in the pre-K room, he needs uh, one-on-one supervision uh, so that he doesn't hurt the other pre-Kers, and he doesn't hurt himself, uh, and that he has that kind of one-on-one attention. Um, and uh, my wife was initially scheduled to be with Luke in the pre-K room this morning, um, but obviously she wanted to see me preach, and uh, so we were asking people that normally are with Luke uh, at this time if they would be with him, and, and no one was available. Um, so we widened the search, and, and Jordan uh, asked Pastor D if he would uh, be with Luke uh, this morning uh, as I preach, and uh, thought that was great. We sent him in some in- instructions. Lindsay came early to, to uh, give Dee some more instructions on how to be with Luke, protect himself, uh, to care for him, when to call us, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, Rosie was with Lindsay as we were coming in, and uh, Rosie asked, oh, who's with Luke today? And uh, Lindsay turns and says, oh, uh, Pastor Dee is. And uh, her exact quote was, he found a loophole. which I've never taught my daughter what a loophole is. And so it's, that's incredible. Uh, we, are, we are waiting anxiously for word about D and what's going to happen with the Regional Appeals Board. Uh, D is going to be meeting with them this coming Friday. And so our hope is that you would join us in prayer, praying for D, praying for the Regional Appeals Board, that they'd be open to his appeals, open to his arguments that truly the Holy Spirit that we think is at work in here and with D would be at work with them. So I would love if you would join our church board and church staff in prayer for D. Once we receive word uh, about what is going to happen with D, what their decision is, we will certainly pass that along to you, uh, first by email, um, and then you'll probably hear about it coming Sunday. Um, With that being said, uh, I then walk cautiously into this chapter in Matthew, Matthew 23, uh, in which, to put it lightly, this is the easy stuff when it comes to this chapter, in chapter 23. Jesus immediately starts talking to the crowd, but he's talking to the crowd about the Pharisees and the scribes. And uh, this is the gentle stuff in this chapter, because later on in this chapter, he will call them snakes. He will call them whitewashed sepulchers. He will go after them in a way that is just like, that's, Jesus, this is a little bit ruthless, don't you think? He goes hard on them. And I think that for us in our Christian imagination, it can get really easy to go after the Pharisees, right? The Pharisaical movement uh, came at this time uh, in the Jewish people, kind of what we have in between the the Old Testament and the New Testament. This intertestimonial period of time is when this lay reform movement starts that will eventually become the Pharisees. 
These are people who, in this reform movement, care deeply about the law, care deeply about the identity of the Jewish people, care deeply about what it is to, to have this particular identity in the world. And so they are fervent for the law. It's certainly how they acted. It's certainly how Jesus describes them. That they, they are fervent for the law. It's admirable, I think, in some ways to say, yeah, you, we should try to maintain our tradition, to maintain the, the identity of who we are in a world that is changing. And yet, we might be quick to say, well, you know, okay, well, we, ha- we have Jesus, so out with the law, we got Christ and all that Christ teaches. We don't need the law anymore. The Pharisees were all fervent for the law, so like, let's just chuck the law. And the law is not the problem here in Matthew. The Jewish Torah is not the issue. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew goes at great lengths to describe how Christ is the new Moses. The first few chapters of Matthew parallel Christ's birth with the birth narrative of Moses. And that what Moses does in taking the people of Israel out into wilderness and leading them, and then coming to a mount and giving in one long speech the book of Deuteronomy. Matthew writes that Jesus does a very similar thing in going out into the wilderness for 40 days and then coming back from that experience, then giving the sermon on the mount. And in fact, the the Gospel of Matthew not just goes to show this kind of parallelism between Moses and Christ, but that there are five separate teachings in the gospel of Matthew in which Jesus goes at great lengths to talk about what it is to be the kingdom of God, to embody what it is to to follow God, to act and worship this one God. And these five sections replicate the five books of Torah, Matthew is deeply concerned about Torah. Jesus is deeply concerned about Torah. One of the central things he says on the Sermon on the Mount is, I've not come to abolish the law. No, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. We're not kicking the law out. The law is still very important. But what I'm going to do and my ministry is going to be in this teaching is a renewal, uh, uh, an update, an understanding, kind of making essential the essential things of the law. The law is not the issue for the Pharisees and Jesus' critique of the Pharisees. Rather, it's how the Pharisees apply the law with their own practice. You see, The Pharisees were deeply concerned, not just with this retrieval and renewal and uh, conserving this identity as a Jewish person in a Jewish nation, but they were very uh, honed in on purity. This is about ritualistic purity and tithing and how you demonstrate and perform your faith. And Christ very quickly says, the Pharisees want to keep people in and out. Later on in chapter 23, in the longer kind of version of his critique of the Pharisees, he'll say they they are gatekeepers, and yet they keep themselves out. They keep themselves out of God's presence. 
Tradition can be something that is used as a weapon to say who's in and who's out. But notice the first thing that Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says, you can do what they say, just don't do what they do. What they say is good. It, you know, caring about tradition is necessary. It's good. Preserving the law, understanding the teachings, your history, the identity of who we are, that's really good. But you can't just say these things and not help the people. His, his three critiques here in um, chapter 23, 1 through 12, is that the Pharisees, they're very quick to say, this is what it is, this is, this is the good life, this is what it is to follow and, and, and worship Yahweh, but they, do, they don't do the same. We would say that old adage, actions speak louder than words. That's essentially what Christ is saying about the Pharisees here. Their actions are speaking louder than their words. They might be you know, preaching what it is to have this identity, but they're actually not embodying that in the world. They, they might be preaching a, a, a gospel of grace, but it certainly doesn't look very grace-filled. The second critique he has is that the, the Pharisees will give all of this teaching, will pile on burdens of what it is to, to be in good standing, but do nothing to help the people. They do nothing to help lighten the load. They give all these identifiers. This is what you got to do. This is who you, this is what you, uh, this is what you worship. This is how you worship. This is the music you listen to. These are the, the TV programs and movies you watch. These are the things you don't watch. This is who you vote for. This is who you don't vote for. All that kind of stuff. They set a box in which you have to perform these things to be in, but they don't do anything to help lighten that load, help lighten that burden. And the third thing Jesus says is, and they do all of this, they speak and they act for prestige, for power, to be in prominent places, to be seen. Not just be seen in like, I know you kind of a way, but be seen as powerful, as important, as worth the seat that they are sitting in, which is Moses' seat, as Jesus says. I think in our own context here at San Diego First Church, man, it can be real easy to know exactly who the Pharisees are and to feel so much of Jesus' critique and go, yeah, Jesus, get at them. Absolutely, this is, a, this is not about this legalistic kind of purity code in which these people are in and these people are out. Right? It's really easy to do that. Oh, man, I feel that in me. Like, ah, let's go to town. Let's, let's point out and name some Pharisees. It's really so much harder to turn that in on myself, <laughs> to turn that in on my own behavior. Although I'm not a lay person, I'm a pastor, man, I still... Jesus' critique still hit home for me. Something that I care deeply about that I preach is that, that the God, the creator of everything, created you and your emotions and no matter what you feel and, 
and what you experience, God can hold the enormity of your lived emotional experience. I, 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 I take comfort in a God who, who holds me when I just want to scream and yell and say, where are you in all of this? And then, not two hours later, when my own daughter has her big emotions, I can't hold them. And I just want to go, nope, mom, you deal with them. Who, what? If I believe in this God who can hold all my stuff, why can't I hold the big emotions of my own daughter? It's really easy for me to go like, you know, at First Church, this is who we are, and it looks like A, B, and C. Or this is what Christians do, and this is how Christians act. And I get really frustrated when there's other people that are like talking about the complete opposite, right? I say, if you're going to be here in this congregation, you need to be able to make sure you do all of these things. As a leader, I, I, it's hard to resist that. It, it's hard to resist saying, like, if, if you want to join us, right, this is what we do. It's, it's a great insight that uh, early on, our, the, the chosen mission of this church was just as simple as we lift up Christ. Because it can get really complicated. We can start layering on all the different things that our mission can do or who we want to be in the world. But when we boil it down to something so simple as we lift up Christ, it helps me at least resist the this is who we have to be in the world and not help uh, lighten that burden. Bless you. Man, it, it's really easy just to like stand up here and lis- have you all listen to what I think and say <laughs> and think that this is a place, uh, a seat of power and that I do this because I just want to feel good about myself and have some influence. It's really easy to just slip in that mindset of like, my word is the most important that you're going to hear today because I'm speaking about Jesus. I don't know if you're like me. I hope you are. I hope I'm not alone. Because <laughs> it's really easy to take the, these critiques that Jesus has and point them at others when, man, so much of that needs to be pointed at me. That I take tradition and I use it as a weapon, just like the Pharisees do. Say, if you're going to join us, this is the history you got to know and this is who you got to be. When in reality, what Christ says is to this crowd, he says, call no one your father, for you're all children. Don't call any, anyone teacher or rabbi because you are all students. And being a church next to a university and so many of you being educators, oh man, that like rings so true, Right? I was told very early on in my own education, if you're going to be a teacher, you have to be the lead learner. You have to be the lead learner. And especially that's the case with our leaders, not just in our church, but in all contexts. 
That if we are going to be followers of Christ, we are first and foremost, yes, children of God and students of Jesus. Learning, being open, being curious about how we got here and who we're supposed to be in the world. You know, I see, I, this is where I think Jesus is just so insightful. He does not kick out the law. He, he maintains it. He renews it. He fulfills it. We are to keep our tradition, but it's not a weapon to use, and it's not a dead thing to be put onto something or someone or an institution, but rather our tradition enlivens who we are and what we do now. That we are informed by our tradition. But accompanying that is this posture of humility, of curiosity, of wondering about how God is working here and now, to to be curious about, yes, I, I know these things about who we are and our identity and our tradition, but how does that make sense now given the circumstances and contexts in which we live? To be informed by our tradition, to let the, the living faith of the dead inform our lives now instead of being the Pharisees and just kind of whitewashing death and putting that death on others. So what does it look like for you? Not just be curious about Jesus' critique of the Pharisees and how that might apply to you, But what will it look like for you to be curious about others? To be curious about the experiences of people who certainly come in and out of this congregation, but curious about the lives of those next door. Curious about the lives of community members. Not sitting in judgment, but asking the honest questions about somebody that you don't know or haven't had their experience. You, I, I think that what Jesus is bringing us to is this idea of a traditioned curiosity, that we are informed by our tradition, but we lead with curiosity, not with judgment. And I might get a little bit in trouble for this, but, and I might embarrass her but I'm, I'm good with that kickback. And that is that I think you don't have to look any further than our own congregation to see examples of that. And one of those people is Aileen. I think Aileen embodies this in so many ways. It was just her 90th birthday, and, and I talked with her before service, and she just felt so loved and, and just had a great time with that. And now I'm just going to embarrass her and brag on her a little bit more. She has died in the old Nazarene. Like, I think she was born on the second row of the church that she was a part of. Like, Nazarene. She knows all of the stuff that is Christian life and holiness. And yet she has seen so many different stages of her life. Of mourning loss, of having kids grow up and take different paths, and having those grandchildren grow up and take other paths, 
to be adaptable and to learn. More than anyone else I've experienced at the church, and sorry, sorry for the, if I might offend you in this, but like every time I see Aileen, she asks me a question about how am I doing or my kids or, you know, so on and so forth. She immediately is curious about my life. And I'm supposed to be leading her. She, 90 years old, and she is a key voice in our church board, learning alongside of so many of us what the season has for us. She knows the tradition, and she is incredibly curious about how the Holy Spirit is moving us into the future. That's just one person I can name. I, I can name several more, but that's not what this is. <laughs> but I will brag on Aileen. The question I have for you is, what does it look like for you to be knowledgeable and formed by tradition, by the past, asking big questions of history, of formation, and to take that and think about how Christ is calling us into a future that is, that Christ is innovating within us. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. That's what we claim at the end of time, that God is making all things new. For God to make all things new, us in particular, we ought to be curious to lean into that newness, to lean into what the Holy Spirit might be calling us into to not use the forms and functions of what we think the past ought to look like and how that moves and, you know, this is how it was done back in my day, but to take that and say, so what is, what is the Holy Spirit doing now? You see, the critique of the Pharisees is that they held too tightly and used the tradition as a weapon, not just to make sure who's in and who's out, but to pop themselves up, to, to bolster their own ego and identity. But at the end of this pasture, passage, Christ calls us to be humble, to be servants, to care about what is going on in the lives around us and using the tradition to inform our service our curiosity about each other and how we might serve and be for one another. And I, for me, I see that most beautifully practiced in the Lord's Supper, that Christ humbled himself, that God poured out his divinity and became flesh with us, incarnated with us to the point of death on a cross and that we get to participate. We get to take on and embody what it is to be that beloved community, reflecting Christ in the world. So as Russ comes up and offers us communion, the Lord's table, I pray that you think, that you meditate 